In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 22. Joining me today is my first-rate co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? Yeah, very well, Mark. How are you today? Awesome. We just had a great lunch, didn't we? We did. I'm, I'm not used to doing these podcasts back-to-back, but we, uh, <laughs> we're hitting it hard this week. Yeah, and we have a guest today. We do. Chris Baldwin. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks welcome aboard, Chris. Oh, I appreciate it. So, Chris, you work for a little company that I've heard of before. That I do. Yeah, Chevron. That's right. Yeah, and how long ago did you get started with Chevron? Oh, I, I hired on with Chevron in June of 1991. 1991. That does not seem like it was as long ago as it actually is. That's back when Chevron first started, right? That's <laughs> it. It's still called Standard Oil. <laughs> it's still called Chevron Texaco. Um, so when you first got started with Chevron, what were you doing? Um, I hired in uh, in refining Pascal Refinery as an operations trainee. Yeah, I know that Pascal Refinery very well. It's um, I'm not sure if Mike Whitney is still there, but that was a great group of guys and, and women that worked there. That that refinery has grown in, in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, y'all have done a bunch of expansions out there. Oh, yeah, there's been several, you know, large expansions over the years. In the last few years, a um, base oils plant was constructed. So you got your start in the refinery in Pascoola, Mississippi, uh, not too far from where I grew up in Zachary, Louisiana. And um, But you didn't stay there. You didn't stay in, in the refinery. Well, I stayed there for a long time, right? So I spent I spent the bulk of my career in Pascagoula operations, and I did some major capital project work while I was there. And that was that CapEx, that project work, was that expansions or was that uh, upgrades? Yeah, expansions and upgrades, that's right. Um, we put in some equipment to, that will help us, uh, that helped us uh, process heavier crudes, yeah. high-acid crudes. Yeah, so you were involved in all of that uh, for a while, and it's um, how many years were you doing that? So about 22. 22 years. What, did you start when you were 12? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost. Almost. Yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, so you there for a long time, and then you took a little bit different route within Chevron. Yes, I did. Um, I spent three years overseas uh, off the coast of Angola, so I had some exposure and experience on the upstream side of the business as well, the production side. So I did that for three years working in an offshore processing and uh, production facility. You yeah. said something funny at lunch. Did you know you were going offshore when you went over to Angola? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um, no, I, I, so I guess, you know, never assume anything, right? So um, I, I just assumed I'd be shore-based uh, gas plant type uh, operations, um, you know, given my experience in refining. But right. when, when I got there, I, I called my I called my boss and, and uh he said, well, I need to get you to the heliport. And I said, you know, heliport, what for? You know, he said, well, you're going offshore. I said, well, they didn't tell me that. And he said, well, they didn't tell me a lot of everything either. So so offshore I went. But um, it was an amazing experience. It was it was good. And we were talking about this at lunch. I, and I literally had no idea the amount of processing. So if, for our audience that doesn't know, they were basically getting crude natural gas out of the ground. And, and normally you ship that off and it gets processed somewhere else. But y'all were actually processing it on the actual production platform. 
That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, again, that was my first time setting foot on an offshore facility and, and I was, um, I was amazed by the amount of processing that actually takes place out there. Yeah. It's, um, it was like a LER plan on stilts basically. Yeah. In case our audience doesn't know what's LER. Uh, light ends recovery. Yeah. And so y'all weren't just separating water and sand. Y'all were actually processing the crude and the gas. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, fractionation, right? You know, we were, we were Fractionation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's um, and it's just amazing to think the technology that goes on. I mean, like I said, I've I've been in this industry for twenty something years. I've been offshore a bunch of times, but the the amount of work that y'all were doing on that platform is nuts. And so then I asked you, I said, "Hey, is this unique to this part of the, the world?" And you go, "No, they do it all over the place." Yes. Yeah. So it was cool to learn something new about the industry. So you came from a, a facility in Mississippi, and you went over to Angola to work offshore. What was that like culturally? Was that is was it Chevron just somewhere else, or was it a completely different safety company culture that you went to work for? No, I, it's it's it was Chevron somewhere else, you know. So so those same you know policies and safe work practices and and processes that we have in place, um, you know, pretty much are are used throughout the corporation. You know, there's some minor differences, but um, for the most part, it was. It was the same culture, the same safety culture, sure. And the local guys, the Angolans that you had working on the facility, they were right on board with all your safety management and process and procedures as well? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you jumped ahead, Patrick. I hadn't got to the HSP oh, part so yet. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> so, Chris, you're still on the operations side, and you were out there, you said, for three years. That's right. correct. Yeah. And then, and then what happened? My three years uh, in Angola came to an end, right? Okay. And so I, I then started the, the position that I have now, which is in downstream and chemicals HES. So uh, I've been in this role approximately, well, a little, almost a year and a half now. Yeah, so was it different? Because you went literally f- the opposite of what most, most people do. You were on the operations side, right, which means you had HS&E support for all these years. Now you're on the HS&E side supporting operations. That's that's correct. Yeah. That's right. Is it different being on the other side of that fence? Oh, sure it is. It, it, it most definitely is different. Different. You know, making that transition from operations to an HES position. So now that I'm in an HES position, I kind of I've kind of come to appreciate and learn what those guys. <laughs> you feel bad those, for how you treated them all those okay, years. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, no, I, you know, I've come to understand what those guys face and go through trying to get their jobs done, right? And so, um, yeah, it's it's given me a, another perspective on that for sure. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I've known Chevron for a very long time. In fact, I have a very old video about a, a guy that works for City, which is y'all's internal IT group, stopping me on the road and keeping me from jaywalking because he wanted to make sure I was safe. And it just, it shook me to a very course. Like, I have know Chevron has an extremely strong safety culture, but when you see buy-in and frontline people and, and all the employees, frontline people, and they believe in it, it's in their hearts, it's awesome. And so Chevron's done a, just a fantastic job, job of driving that safety culture. When you think about your role and your new role, and in, in you keep calling HENS and we call it HSE, and the other and the whole rest of the world calls it EHNS. What is the rest of the people? Called? And some people throw a Q in there. And a Q in there for calling it. and H. yeah. But it's all this. It's all the same thing. Just the the acronyms, the letters move different places. But when you think about the culture of Chevron and the safety culture they drive, like I said, I think it's the best in the industry. That revolves around the people, right? So you have to buy into it. The people that work with you have to buy into it. And part of your um, responsibilities, I'm sure, working there is helping other people, whether they're contractors or new employees, when learn to buy into that safety culture of Chevron. Do you think it's all about the people? Is it if without the people buying into it, it would never take place? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, you know, well, first, let me say this too also. So I'm a 
a longtime listener and first time guest, right? Yeah. So, so I've been listening to these uh, podcasts of yours for quite some time, and so I don't want to be repetitive, but I've heard it mentioned by several of your guests, you know, about how any type of, of safety culture to be successful, you, you have to have buy-in and commitment from leadership, right? I think right. that's the first first and foremost thing. And I've, I've heard that mentioned several times on these podcasts and it's, it's mentioned often because it's really true, right? That's the first thing is you got to have buy-in from leadership and commitment. I think we have that, no doubt. Oh, no doubt at all. You have that. There's there's no doubt about that. Right. So, and so the, the ultimate goal of course is buy-in by, by those in the field, right? Because they're the ones that are actually putting into practice those policies and safe work practices. Yeah, They're on the front line. They, they're putting themselves in hazardous situations, not risky, just hazardous situations. Sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, you, you have to have buy-in at that level as well across the whole organization. And then I want to make sure people, because it took me a minute to get my head around this, just because you're in Pasigula, Mississippi, where the refinery is, you're not actually working for the refinery. You're actually part of a larger team that's looking at some very specific safety um, drivers. That's correct. Right. So I'm based at Pascagoula uh, as a matter of convenience. You know, it was home, right? right. So um, I'm from that area. And so, but I'm actually working for, for downstream and chemicals corporate HES uh, based in San Ramon, right? So and let me stop you real quick in case the audience doesn't know, there really is not a Chevron. Chevron has a bunch of different uh, operating companies or business units and they all work together, but they have their own drivers, their own budgets. And so you work for the downstream and chemicals uh, group, which is one of the, the operation comp- operational companies inside of Chevron. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's the downstream side of the business. Right. All right. So I'm part of a, a fairly small group of folks, right? And we're scattered throughout the manufacturing enterprise for Chevron. And what we're tasked with doing is developing some enhanced safeguard verification tools and processes, right? So, you know, we conduct thousands of different types of tasks throughout uh, our business, right? And so what we've done is identified some of those tasks, those work tasks that by their inherent nature, have a high potential consequence, right? A, a critical consequence, right? So, so you know, you give some examples for our audience of what what you would consider in that category. For instance, inner entries. That so, my area of focus is inner entries. Explain what that is, Chris, in case our audience doesn't know. Okay, so reactors contain a catalyst, and some of some of these catalysts can be pyrophoric when they come into contact with with oxygen. That means they catch on fire. <laughs> right. They, they can catch on fire. So, so in order to change out this catalyst, um, you cannot have obviously oxygen present. So you have to do it. You have to blanket it with an inert gas, most, most often nitrogen. Uh, and so entry is made into that vessel by specialty contractors, technicians that remove this catalyst from this vessel under an inert atmosphere, right? Oxygen deficient. Yeah. That's a potentially high consequence activity. And so, so what we've done, we've identified those, those activities and we're developing enhanced safeguard verification tools. You know, what we were, what we're trying to achieve is we're trying to know it's safe every time, not think it's safe. So those critical safeguards that have to be in place each and every time, um, when this work is conducted, what are some tools that we can use to facilitate the safe knowing that those safeguards are in place each and every time you know what's cool about this patrick so even they have this own unbelievably robust safety culture what chris is doing is trying to make it better 
Absolutely. This is process improvement. Right. So the way I describe it, I kind of, you know, we have multitudes of processes in place that have been in, in place over the decades, right? And so it's those processes have helped us achieve a, a pretty stellar incident rate, right? Not only Chevron, which is often industry leading incident rate, but also across the industry as a whole. You know, right. we, we've all gotten better yeah. over the preceding decades. And we've gotten better because of these processes that we've put in place. So the way I the way I look at it is we're not this little team that I'm on, we're not throwing those processes out. We're kind of tasked with amending or tweaking or what I describe as taking a deeper dive into some very specific activities, right? And so um, that's that's kind of what we're, we're what we're up to. And and the the team consists of um, you know, degreed safety professionals, uh, managers, human performance professionals. So these these tools that we're developing have a have a human have been developed with a human performance lens. You know, what makes people what are the factors that make people make the decisions that they do, that to take the risk that they do, right? So that's kind of kind of been looked at it as well. Yeah. So what's cool is y'all could have left this alone. As we move through time, you have different technologies, you have different generations of people. Um, you have different processes, and so y'all, y'all are coming back and revisiting this, saying, where can we make this better? Where are there places where we can actually improve the metrics here? And I, I just think that's awesome. And, and what you're focused on is there's a it's a higher-risk situation. I mean, literally, these guys are, are wearing scuba gear, and they're going through an airlock because <laughs> it's a, a no-oxygen situation. And one bad mistake there, and it, it could be you know really bad, the fact that y'all are spending time and effort and money to make that process better, not just for you and not just for Chevron employees, but for your contractors. I, I think that's awesome. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been an interesting and rewarding uh, year and a half for sure. So that's another thing, right? So I've engaged these service providers that do this type work and kind of developed a rapport and re, re, uh, relationship with these folks. And part of that group's effort is doing assessments of these service providers and kind of measuring their GS policies or safe work practices and kind of following up on that with, with assessments in the field, kind of, you know, see if those policies are actually being put into practice. Right. And, uh, that's an element of this, this group's effort as well. Yeah. So when you're working with your service providers, your contractors, and you're out there with the field with them, you're out there tracking what they're doing, seeing if there's places you can help. So you're not out there trying to punish them. You're out there trying to see if there's ways that you can help. Now, I'm sure that if somebody made a gross violation, the hammer would have to come down. Sure. Yeah, yeah certainly. Certainly. But no, the, I've, it's been, um, it's been, like I say, interesting and rewarding and, and actually very well received from those guys. It's really, truly a, a working relationship, you know? It's a partnering, right? Y'all, oh, yeah, absolutely. Y'all, sure. y'all have the same goal. You want your people to go home safe sure. every night. And there's some, I mean, there's some good things that has has come out of that already, you know? And, and I'm kind of proud of that. Anything unexpected that you didn't see coming that was a good thing that came out of that? So as, as this dialogue, as this relationship is, has gone on, so, you, you know, we have a lot of discussions about, all right, so these safeguard verification tools that we're wanting to institute, what, we would ask these service providers, what are your thoughts, right? You, we give us, give us your input on that because they are, you know, ultimately the experts at it. So with that discussion going on, we had, we had some discussions about several items on these, on these checklists, and um, it actually led to an, uh, the development of a, a piece of equipment that would help facilitate 
some of the some of those items on that checklist, right? Oh, that's and cool. It's, and it's something that they hadn't thought of, and it's it's kind of just it was is lanyap as uh, I would say, you know. Yeah, nobody else in the rest of the country knows what that means. That means <laughs> I it's know extra. you know. Yeah, yeah, I know you know. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was good. Um, I was I was happy with that. So that's, that's cool. interesting because I I know when I was hearing it, I was thinking, oh, well, your new checklist, new procedures, new more policy, but you're actually developing new equipment technology that's helping facilitate the safety of your crews. Well, yeah. So so we didn't right. This was the service provider. Okay. But that idea for this piece of equipment was a result of this these these discussions we were having. Yeah, it was a um, synergy, right? So they wouldn't have thought about it on their own. Chris wouldn't have thought about it on his own, but the fact they're engaged in with this professional relationship, basically one and one equal three. Something came out of it that they neither one would expect, but it helps everybody. Yeah, it's right? nice to hear. It's not just a, all right, we got a contractor, go do your work and get out of here and let us get on with what we're doing. Right, yeah. right. It was kind of, you know, it was a kind of a brainstorming session we were having one afternoon at their facility and it's kind of like the light bulb went off, you know, bing, so, hey, what about this? So let me get, what, what uh, well, I guess, what started those discussions? Was this as a result of, let's say, an incident investigation or somebody raised their hand and, and said, we, we need to do something before something? What kicked off the discussion that led to this kind of improvement? So several years ago, you know, Chevron put this team of, of people together, and it's, it's evolved over several years with the goal, like I had mentioned, of taking a deeper dive, a more, a more critical look at some of these activities that are potentially of critical consequence, right? right? And so that's kind of how we ended up here. And again, my area of focus, confined space entry and hot work with, with emphasis on inert entries and hot taps and so basically our organization was tasked with with engaging these service providers and developing these enhanced safeguard verification tools and the goal of course is to improve the way we plan and then ultimately manage and execute those tasks in the field and we want to take that and standardize it across manufacturing. So one of the things we've done is to develop core teams of individuals with representation across the enterprise, right? And we brainstorm, you know, mostly over WebEx because we're scattered all (laughs) over the place, right? And so we brainstorm and and we develop kind of, you know, a thoroughly vetted process, a planning process. So when we do an inner entry, this is what the way we're going to do it. And we want to try to standardize that across the enterprise, right? And so I think, you know, that's another worthy goal is, is standardization. You know, once you figure out what's best practice, you're kind of silly not to share that with all your other peers around the world and have some system of doing that in a methodical way. So I want to back you up. A couple of things the audience may not know. So what is a confined space entry? Exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> so, so go to OSHA and... Uh, <laughs> So confined space entry, yeah. So it's any, it's any. Um, you're gonna put me on the spot here. So it's when a person enters a vessel or container that one is not meant for permanent occupancy, may or may not have contained a hazardous substance. So basically, going through manholes, unbolting some plate or some cover somewhere, and going to a place where if you need to run, you actually really can't run. And then what's a hot tap? So a hot tap is when you're, you're performing hot work on a piece of equipment or a line most often that's actually in service, yeah, right? So you, you, you can't stop the flow. You're welding on a saddle, and the line is live. 
Yeah, so one way to do it was to shut everything down so you can work on it. What you're actually dealing with is you're not shutting everything down and you're still having to do the work. Correct. Yeah, different different layer of complexity there. Right, and, and so an aspect of all this, right, is to make sure that these things are done only when absolutely necessary, right? right. That's an element in all this. You, you only do those when absolutely necessary. Yeah, so the planning aspect of this, of what you're focused on, is huge because you have to look at the life cycle of that equipment. You have to look if there's any turnarounds planned, if there's any planned outages, and figure out, you know, I don't know if it's three months or six months or a year, but you, you have a, must have a very long planning cycle where you probably try to do as much of this as you can when, the, when that equipment's down and as minimal amount of it as you can when that equipment's hot. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. So planning's huge in your world. Yes, it is. Yeah. And just to get back about the, the confined space entry so our audience understands it, a confined space entry is one of the top killers offshore in an oil and gas that when you have a confined space entry and you and somebody goes down, you usually end up with two or three bodies on top of them because they don't understand the hazards. It's not fuel, it's not flame, it's not electricity where you can kind of see what's going on. It's a it's a silent killer. It, you you can't see when there's a oxygen deficient deficient environment or a toxic substance in there. So you hear a lot of stories of somebody goes down, their buddy wants to go in and help them, they go down, the next person wants to go help, they go down before you actually identify the hazards there. So growing up in, in the shipping world, it, confined space entry is a big deal, and I don't want to brush over it because it's, it's not an explosion, it's not a fire. Right, certainly. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a risky, risky task for sure. And, but it's a task that needs to be done, and if you put the right process in place and the right procedure and you have the right monitoring, you can greatly mitigate those risks. It's when people don't follow the right process. Absolutely. Right? It's the human element again that's sure bites you in the butt sometimes. Sure. And that's that's kinda, you know, what I would stress to to people and especially young people. Uh, you know, so we have these processes and and rules and regulations in place and sometimes it can appear unnecessary or, or even redundant. But the, the thing to remember is, you know, all those rules and regulations and processes are put in place most likely as a result of an incident, right? Something happened somewhere at some time that wasn't good. And as a result, we ended up with this rule or that rule. So, so they're there for a reason. And, and, um, that's what I would, I would, you know, stress for people to remember. Yeah, you know? I tell young people all the time, when you're looking at that checklist, that's history. That means sometime 20-something years ago, that first thing on checklist, somebody did that. And so now we're trying to prevent you from doing it. It's literally historical. If you look at it from, it's that's where all that stuff came from. Exactly. And, it's, um, and just because nothing's happened to you in your one or two years on the job, don't think that 5, 10, or 15 years, especially when you get complacent, that it can, can't happen to you because it can. And that's what the checklists are there for, to make sure that you think of every little thing that needs to be taken care of. Um, speaking of young people, Chris, uh, we're gonna change subjects here. Um, you know, you and me are, are not getting any younger. Um, neither is Patrick. Um, <laughs> but when you see, I'm sure y'all have younger people coming in, um, coming to work in, they have a different, uh, almost vibe, a different attitude around the way he thinks of, I, I actually think it's exciting. They're anxious to learn. Um, and it, it must be nice from your point of view to actually see these young people come in and, and want to play a part in a company the size of Chevron. Oh sure, sure it is. It's it's a good thing. We actually have a uh, a mentoring program at, at, that Chevron has, and um, it kind of connects connects people at different levels of their career, right? And it uh, kind of facilitates that that relationship and that 
taking a younger person under your wing, so to speak, and kind of helping them along. See, I think that's awesome. We actually, uh, in the process, are standing up in our API Young Professionals group where we're going to find senior project manager, salesperson, or engineer, or roustabout or whatever, and connect them with somebody just in the industry because that senior person has so much stuff in his head that's not written down anywhere, and it's going to be so nice to share that with younger people because it's going to accelerate their learning. Um, it's cool that Chevron has that as an official program. So have, have you stepped into that program yet? Oh, no, I have not, actually. You need uh, to. Yeah, I think, no, I've actually thought about you it. You could use a mentor. You know? <laughs> I, could, I could. I could use a mentor. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so I, we just, we got to find a young person that doesn't think they know everything, right? Yeah. A, that might be the challenge. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, at 20 years old, I thought I knew everything, too. That Absolutely. Was <laughs> that, well, that was actually going to be one of my questions. So Chevron is an, it's an older company, but what you're tasked with doing is looking at the critical tasks that maybe things were missed or could be done better. How is it received? The older guys that have been with Chevron forever and are, have been doing this, you got young guys that are coming in and don't know the industry but think they know everything. But now you're coming in to fix a process that's been running fine for the last 20 years. How is it received for the old guys, the young guys? Are you just coming in and causing all kinds of trouble? <laughs> yes, of course I am. <laughs> uh, so, so it runs the gamut, right? It runs the gamut. So. By nature, I guess we're reluctant to change. Right? Well, that's our that's our industry, Chris. It's because of what we do. Once we have a process in place and nothing blows up, nobody gets hurt and nothing leaks, we don't want to change the process. It's that's the culture of our industries. We don't like change. No, exactly. Yeah. No, and so that's a very good point. And so yes, it can be frustrating at times. You know, trying to so that one thing I've learned right is that this is the first time I've had a position in the center or, or with, with the corporate lens, right? And so what we're doing, the team I'm on, what we're doing, it, it touches facilities and organizations throughout the enterprise. So, and so whenever you're trying to institute a change or anything that touches such a wide range of organizations throughout the company, it's a heavy effort, right? You get a lot of input from a lot of organizations, and so um, it can be, at times it seems slow, a slow process, but um, I think I think that's that's something that's kind of inherent to working in that type of environment where, where, you're, where your work is touching such a large uh, organization, right? right? So do you have some appreciation for some of the corporate guys you ran into at Chevron 10 or 15 years ago now that you're on the oh, other side of the fence? <laughs> sure, of course, absolutely, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, it's um that culture is always the hardest thing to change and it's um, you know, people want to affect change immediately. And uh, when you're in a large organization or, or literally in an industry like oil and gas, it just doesn't happen. So I tell people, I mean, you just have to have patience. It will change if it's the right thing to do. It's not gonna happen overnight, and you just gotta be okay with that. Sure, and I, and I think that's a that's um, like I say, I, you know, I, I've spent the vast majority of my career in operations, and I think so. That's an element of the HES role as well, or position that it, it tends to be a bit maybe maybe slower. I think you know that repetition we were talking about earlier, where you know things have to be repeated over and over again until the message sinks in. You know, I, I, I'm. Again, I came from operations, you know, it was kind of a, um, you know, that that satisfaction of a job complete came pretty quick. Right. Right. Whereas whereas this, this is very slow and methodical and it takes time to see the fruits of your efforts. Right. Or operations, it was a, it was far more um, 
tangible, I guess. You know? HSC, you can quickly see when you failed, but it's <laughs> it's harder to see when you're making strides in the right direction. Fair point. Yeah, but you know, the nice thing about HSE is when you make strides, it feels good. I mean, you're impacting everybody. So not just the people that work at Chevron, not just the con- their families. You know, so you know, I've always had a special place in my heart for those guys that put up with you know, all the pushback and you know, all the stuff that goes on because at the end of the day, they make everybody's life better. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is probably a good place to, to pause, and uh, we're actually going to jump into Red Wings Tip of the Week. Chris, you have a Red Wings Safety Tip of the Week? So I think we touched on it briefly earlier, but and I think you called you referred to it as, as complacency, yeah. right? And I think that's a bit strong. I, I like to call it comfort level, right? And so that would be my statement or my my topic would um, how do how do we prevent our comfort level from becoming you know too too good, all right? You, you know if you do something over and over. Uh, over the years you become comfortable yep and you tend to then take risks and let your guard down yep and so um i call it you know the complacency creep right over over time and so um i think that's and that's what a lot of these checklists and processes are designed to to help with right is to is to keep your Keep your comfort level where it should be. You certainly want to be confident in what you do. You want to know your business, uh, absolutely, but never lose respect for what it is we're dealing with out there. You yeah, know? there's a, a fine line between confidence and complacency. You could, you, you definitely have to keep an eye on it. You bet. You know, it's, um, I, for some reason, I know this statistic. I don't know where I picked this up for, but um, so they did some research on uh, framing carpenters for houses here in the U.S., and they were looking at hands injuries, basically guys cutting the tips of their fingers off with a, a skill saw. It was never the guys that was doing it one or two or three years. It's always the guys that have been doing it for seven, eight, or nine years. It plays in exactly what you're saying. They got complacent and they weren't paying attention where that saw was. Sure. So yeah, great safety tip of the week. Um, now it's time for I think our bag winner. So uh, this week's winner is it's Bobby Hewlett with Chevron. He's a country manager in Columbia. So congratulations, Bobby. You have won one of these awesome Red Wing offshore bags. We will make sure it's in the mail to you as soon as possible. If you'd like to win your own Red Wing offshore bag, Chris, do you have a Red Wing offshore bag? I do not. Well, if you want a red one, it's pretty easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put in your information, and we draw one lucky, lucky winner a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details to get the legalese out of the way. Patrick, what's going on with the LinkedIn group? The LinkedIn group, the Oil and Gas Global Network, or OGGN. Um, I would like to say it's also on Facebook now. As Yeah. Hi, OGGN. We've got Facebook Live going, so if you're a member of the OGGN on LinkedIn or Facebook, you can check us out. We're going to start publishing these interviews um, unedited so you can see the raw... Funny stuff that happens. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great place to, uh, and we're live. We're uh, I'm on TV. Is that what you're telling me? You're on Facebook. It's not quite TV. <laughs> now, Facebook will tell you they're not a media company, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you listen to the show, if you're part of our family, join the LinkedIn group. It's uh, where uh, we all hang out. It's We get questions answered. I've seen people help other people. It's where Patrick and I will make an announcement of our live event that we've committed to this quarter. And Patrick, this quarter's <laughs> moving on by <laughs> halfway through January. We're going to get the live event out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so um, uh, go join the LinkedIn group. It takes all of you know two minutes to do. You'd be so glad you did. And then if you're listening, can you please do me a favor? We messed up. And I say we. It was actually me. 
we lost all of our reviews for the HSNE podcast in iTunes. So if you left us a review before, can you please do me a favor? Go into iTunes, leave us another one. If you haven't left a review, can you please help us? This helps us get in front of more people. It also helps with our search engine rankings. And Patrick, you're actually put a LinkedIn. Yeah, we got some feedback. The iTunes isn't exactly intuitive for leaving reviews. So I'm going to I'm gonna put some instructions, maybe just a link straight to where you can leave reviews. Make it real simple for everybody. Just click, leave a review. We're good to go. Yep, and we have our own website, uh, oilandgashse.com. Um, all of our podcasts we publish there. If, if uh, any blog posts that we do, any announcements, uh, we also have an email list. So if you want to be notified automatically when we do something, go sign up for email list. It's uh, oilandgashse.com. Leave and us it, questions. If you've got people you want us to interview or companies you're interested in, let us know. Um, our contact information's there. Send us an email. Yeah, and if you would like us to interview you or your company, reach out there as well, and we'll be happy to talk to you about that. Um, we have a new show coming out, uh, All Gas Industry Leaders with Paige. That should be coming out in February. Talked about we lost our reviews, and we did that because we broke our feed. So if you're in iTunes and you haven't seen a new show from us in a while, research for All, Red Wing All Gas HSE. There's another feed, and just tap into it, and we promise we won't do it again. Broke is the technical way to say it. We've improved <laughs> things, and we're getting better. Yeah, process improvement, Patrick. That's right. <laughs> and then, Patrick, you and I, at the end of January, will be at the Mid-Continent Digital All-Fill Conference, MCDOC. We'll be doing a podcast live from the events in Tulsa, Oklahoma, January 25th and 26th. I just want to thank the Oklahoma Energy Resource Board and SOAR and V2Com. So the Oklahoma Energy Resource Boards, their mission really is to use the strength of Oklahoma's greatest industry to improve the lives of all Oklahomans through education and restoration. They, Patrick, they actually go back and find old wells and they fix them. Um, which is really cool. Absolutely, yeah. And then V2Com, known V2Com for a long time. V2Com is basically the Internet of Things company for oil and gas. They got over 10 years of IoT experience and over a million devices connected worldwide. So if you got a technology problem, reach out to V2Com. Patrick will stick the links to all of these companies in the show notes. We'll also be at NAEP uh, Summit in February. We'll be at Process Safety in March, SPE, HSE Conference in April, and <laughs> whew, OTC in May with National Oil Well Varco. So if you'd like Patrick and I to come out to your trade association, your company event, your conference, your HSE meetings, or even your gun club or golf tournament. Golf too, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let us know. Reach out to Patrick and I, and we'd be happy to share the details. But as you just heard the list from Mark, our schedule's filling up. So <laughs> it, Our schedule is filling up, which is, which is really good. We love y'all. Y'all are all and gas family. We couldn't do this show without you. And Patrick, I guess it's about time before we get out of here, Chris, man, thank you so much. This was awesome. It's a very deep dive in a part of Chevron's business um, that was very educational for me. And I've, I've known Chevron forever. Um, great company, very strong safety culture. Love those people over there. If people want to find out more about you, we're going to send them to your LinkedIn profile. Yes, that'd be the best place, LinkedIn. And if people want to find out more about Chevron, where should they go? Oh, well, Chevron, they can go to Chevron.com, of course. Um, Chevron is on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Yeah, Chevron even retweets my tweets every now and then, which I think is cool. <laughs> um, so, Patrick, anything else? You ready to get out of here? Nah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. So...
years ago when, when a guy was, or a gal was leaving the facility, they were being transferred, you know, the, the tradition was that they, that they be wet down with a fire hose, right? You know, they'd spray <laughs> them at some point, at some point during their last shift, they would be hosed down with a fire hose, right? So it was your last shift you hauled butt to get out of there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so the whole, the whole shift was, you were strategically thinking now. So if I, you know, you know, I'd be hiding over there. So you avoided those places. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, so, so we had a guy that was getting transferred out of the, out of the facility. He was moving on to bigger and better things. And so he knew, you know, his time was coming, you know, so he was, <laughs> so he brought a, um, he, he, he knew someone that was in the, the theatrical world and he brought, um, uh, some fake blood with him and, um, <laughs> only in the oil field. <laughs> right. So it, he, so when it's, when his time came, when the, t- his turn came to, to be, you know, uh, wet down with a fire hose he kind of he kind of took off running disappeared behind a vessel and then he came out from around that vessel you know with this blood all over him and um screaming his arm his arm and and the guys that you know <laughs> were wetting him down were trying to with a fire hose you know they they kind of freaked out right yeah they, <laughs> he outsmarted <laughs> them actually he, is what he did <laughs> he had him he had him scared so did he-